Hello, I'm Kathy Shagrin. I'm Stacia Matten. And I'm Mary Osborne. Nestled among the beauty of bright green cornfields, family farms, and the gentle rolling hills of west central Illinois is the small rural community of Monmouth. Lots of famous and infamous people have lived in Monmouth. Wyatt Earp was born here. Ronald Reagan attended grade school in town while his father sold shoes at Colwell's department store. Serial killer Richard Speck called this area home for a time. And actress Gladys Gale and Congressman Montgomery Rice were born and raised right here in the Maple City, too. Monmouth boasts Monmouth College and the Monmouth Zippers. It also has the distinction of being the birthplace of the women's fraternity movement. Our monthly program, which is generously sponsored by the Buchanan Center for the Arts, will feature a true tale from our past. So we invite you to sit back and listen as we learn more about the town we love. This is Prairie Tales. It's May. And as travelers begin to take to the open road again, we wondered if local folks would remember a tourism camp that was located at the intersection of East 11th Street and Broadway in the 1930s and 40s. As always, we want to thank Jeff Rankin for his story. In 2019, a new park at 11th Street and Broadway was developed through the generosity of the Patti Foundation, the Monmouth Rotary Club, and the Kiwanis Club. While citizens have praised it both for its recreational features and because it replaced the eyesore of a long vacant grocery store and an asphalt parking lot, most are unaware that an earlier park had occupied the site nearly 90 years ago. That story begins with one of the town's first settlers, Chancey Harden, who arrived in Monmouth from Oswego County, New York in 1840 to open a hardware store in the public square. In need of a residence, he turned to a master carpenter who had also come from Oswego County, William Hilton Webster. Webster, who was 40 in 1860, supervised the building of an Italianate country house for Chancey Harden, who owned hundreds of acres of land just east of the Monmouth city limits. The house, which stood at 1335 East Broadway, would later serve as the first clubhouse for the Monmouth Country Club. In 1949, Harden's great-grandson, Fred H. Patti, would erect a modern ranch house on the property. Early property records are sketchy, but it appears that William Webster built an elegant home for his new bride in the 1850s on Hardin Land at 1204 East Broadway, the site of the 2019 West addition to Patti Park. Although the land wasn't officially transferred to the Websters until 1871, the Greek Revival style of the home, with unusual coffered panels incorporated into the siding, places it squarely in the 1850s. According to the 1860 census, Webster and his wife Emmeline shared the home with an apprentice carpenter from Ireland named George Kennedy. Also living there was their baby son Jay, born in 1859, and Emmeline's younger sisters, Carrie and Kate Beach, both students at the newly founded Monmouth College. Emmeline would soon give birth to a son, Dan Quincy Webster, and a daughter, Hattie. Tragedy struck in November of 1880 when 60-year-old William Webster died in a freak well accident. Following his death, Jay Webster moved west to a ranch in Montana, and Hattie married a draftsman for Weir Plow Company, leaving Emmeline and Dan sharing the house. The house would later spring to life when Dan married and had a daughter, Bernice, in 1905. Dan worked a succession of jobs, from managing a cooperative fuel company, to selling cement silos, to managing a coal and grain company. After the death of his mother Emmeline in 1914 and a divorce in 1919, he and Bernice lived alone in the family homestead. 
During the 1920s, Dan Webster became a deputy sheriff for Warren County and rented out the family home. It was also during that decade that a new national fad would emerge and influence Dan Webster's future career. As automobiles became increasingly commonplace during the 1920s, families began taking to the open road and exploring America, despite its primitive road system. Hotels were considered the domain of traveling salesmen and were expensive, so touring families preferred to stop by the roadside to cook meals over campfires and sleep in tents. Many cities offered free municipal campgrounds to lure tourists to their downtowns. To reduce sanitation problems, campsites often included toilets, electricity, and showers. In the summer of 1923, the Monmouth Chamber of Commerce commissioned the painting of a thousand road signs, advertising Monmouth as a motoring destination. The signs were placed at one-mile intervals along all highways within a 70-mile radius of the city. Monmouth Park was offered as a scenic spot for campers to gather. To defray rising costs and keep out tramps, some towns began to charge for accommodations, and some gave their blessings to private entrepreneurs to develop overnight facilities. Between 1925 and 1928, there was a shift towards these private camps. Municipal camps became daytime destinations, while local entrepreneurs took over overnight camping with the blessing of town officials. To attract a higher class of patronage, some camps began providing lodging in the form of permanent cabins. Known as cabin camps, they would be the predominant tourist accommodation until after World War II. When hard times hit, cabin camps began draining the hotel trade. The AAA estimated, with their easy access to highways, free parking, and privacy, the camps cut hotel occupancy from 75% in 1929 to 60% in 1936. Dan Webster, whose former home was situated on six acres just blocks from US 34, decided to cash in on the trend. In 1930, he decided to tear down the house and replace it with a campground equipped with eight octagon-shaped wooden cabins. To the north on 11th Street, he constructed a building containing a restaurant, a filling station, and living quarters. Just as Webster began raising the east wing of the house, a family friend named Rose Eckley, who was the mother of late Monmouth historian Ralph Eckley, stepped in and urged Webster not to let the remainder of his father's sturdily built residence to be reduced to rubble. Instead, Webster sold the house to J.W. Rankin, who had it moved to 201 South 9th Street, where it still stands today. The Maple Grove camp became a popular stopover during the Depression, and Dan Webster formed various business partnerships over the years, such as in October of 1933, when it was advertised that the Maple Grove Inn, featuring home-cooked foods, sandwiches, salads, and tasty platters, had reopened under new management. Nationwide, the World War II ban on passenger car production and the rationing of gasoline and tires ended the motor camp craze, but Webster managed to keep the gas station open, selling Phillips 66 products. By the early 1950s, the previously undeveloped North 11th Street began to hum with new businesses that included a drive-in restaurant, auto body shop, a diner, a supermarket, a roller rink, furniture store, bowling alley, and a dry cleaner. In 1953, the Rock Island Argus published a feature story on Dan Webster, who was then 88 years old and was being honored as Monmouth's oldest living mason. The story noted that he was busy every day at his filling station, but had sold off all but three of his tourist cabins. Just too much work to keep them up, he said. He was, however, in his 20th year as a justice of the peace, although he had never performed a marriage ceremony. 
I don't want to wish anybody any trouble, he explained. Webster also said that lots of people wanted to buy his six-acre property on the busy street, but that it wasn't for sale. He was saving it for his daughter Bernice, who was then the wife of a dentist in Wewoka, Oklahoma. At the age of 90, Webster's health began to fail, and in 1955, the acreage was finally sold to the Benner Tea Company, which erected a supermarket on the property. The next summer, Webster went to live with Bernice in Oklahoma, where he died 10 weeks later. The business's main office building was moved to 207 South 11th Street and remodeled into a home. One of the last remaining cabins was used as a storage building for the 11th Street bowling alley until a few years ago. And that, friends, is where this tale ends. Prairie Tales is a production of the Buchanan Center for the Arts in Monmouth, Illinois. Special thanks to Jeff Rankin for providing the content of this episode. If you enjoyed our podcast, look for more content on Instagram at Buchanan Center and on Facebook at BCA Monmouth. Email us with questions and suggestions for future episodes at prairietalespodcast at gmail.com. For Stacia Matten, I'm Mary Osborne. For Mary Osborne, I'm Kathy Shagrin. And for Kathy Shagrin, I'm Stacia Matten. Remember, not all history is found in a book. Sometimes it's found in the stories we tell. Just listen to the sound of the prairie, and you too might hear a tale.